It was Wednesday, and when we got into town, we parked in front of Pop and Pearl Watson's grocery store on Main. I waited on the sidewalk until my grandfather nodded in the direction of the store. That was my cue to go inside and purchase a Tootsie Roll on credit. It cost only a penny, but it was not a foregone conclusion that I would get one every trip to town. But this time, I got the nod. As always, Pearl was dusting the counter when I entered and gave her a stiff hug. Then I grabbed a Tootsie Roll from the jar next to the cash register. I signed the charge slip with great flair, and Pearl inspected my penmanship. It's getting better, Luke, she said. Not bad for a seven-year-old, I said. Because of my mother, I had been practicing my name in cursive writing for two years. Where's Pop? I asked. They were the only adults I knew who insisted I call them by their first names, but only in the store when no one else was listening. In the back, putting up stock, Pearl said. Where's your grandfather? It was Pearl's calling in life to monitor the movements of the town's population, so any question was usually answered with another. The tea shop, checking on the Mexicans. Can I go back there? I was determined to out-question her. Better not. Y'all using hill people, too? If we can find them. Eli says they don't come down like they used to. Pearl grinned whenever I called my grandfather by his first name. She was about to ask me a question when the small bell clanged as the door opened and closed. A genuine Mexican walked in, alone and timid, as they all seemed to be at first. Pearl nodded politely at the new customer. I shouted, Buenos dias, senor! The Mexican grinned and said sheepishly, Buenos dias, before disappearing into the back of the store. They're good people, Pearl said under her breath, as if the Mexican spoke English and might be offended by something nice she said. I bit into my Tootsie Roll and chewed it slowly while re-wrapping and pocketing the other half. Eli's worried about paying them too much, I said. Eli worries about everything, Pearl said. He's a farmer. Are you going to be a farmer? No, ma'am, a baseball player. For the Cardinals? Of course. Pearl hummed for a bit while I waited for the Mexican. I had some more Spanish I was anxious to try. Pape opened the door just wide enough to stick his head in. Let's go, he said. Then, howdy, Pearl. Howdy, Eli, she said as she patted my head and sent me away. Where are the Mexicans? I asked Pappy when we were outside. Should be in later this afternoon. We got back in the truck and left town in the direction of Jonesboro, where my grandfather always found the hill people. We parked on the shoulder of the highway near the intersection of a gravel road. In Pappy's opinion, it was the best spot in the county to catch the hill people. I wasn't so sure. He'd been trying to hire some for a week with no results. For half an hour, we tossed a baseball along the edge of a cotton field, stopping whenever a truck approached. My glove was a Rawlings that Santa had delivered the Christmas before. I slept with it nightly and oiled it weekly, and nothing was as dear to my soul. My grandfather, who had taught me how to throw and catch and hit, didn't need a glove. His large, calloused hands absorbed my throws without the slightest sting. Though he was a quiet man who never bragged, Eli Chandler had been a legendary baseball player. At the age of 17, he had signed a contract with the Cardinals to play professional baseball. 
But the first war called him, and not long after he came home, his father died. Pappy had no choice but to become a farmer. Pappy, who was rubbing the baseball in his mammoth hands, cocked his head at the sound of a vehicle. Coming from the west was a truck with a trailer behind it. From a quarter of a mile away, we could tell they were hill people. We walked to the shoulder of the road and waited as the driver downshifted, gears crunching and whining as he brought the truck to a stop. I counted seven heads, five in the truck, two in the trailer. Hattie, the driver said slowly, sizing up my grandfather as we in turn quickly scrutinized them. Good afternoon, Pappy said, taking a step closer but still keeping his distance. Tobacco juice lined the lower lip of the driver. This was an ominous sign. My mother thought most hill people were prone to bad hygiene and bad habits. Tobacco and alcohol were forbidden in our home. We were Baptists. Name's Sprill, he said. Eli Chandler, nice to meet you. Y'all looking for work? Yep. Where you from? Eureka Springs. The truck was almost as old as Pappy's, with slick tires and a cracked windshield and rusted fenders and what looked like faded blue paint under a layer of dust. A tier had been constructed above the bed, and it was crammed with cardboard boxes and burlap bags filled with supplies. Under it, on the floor of the bed, a mattress was wedged next to the cab. Two large boys stood on it, both staring blankly at me. Sitting on the tailgate, barefoot and shirtless, was a heavy young man with massive shoulders and a neck as thick as a stump. He spat tobacco juice between the truck and the trailer and seemed oblivious to Pappy and me. I'm looking for field hands, Pappy said. How much you paying? Mr. Spruill asked. One sixty a hundred, Pappy said. Mr. Spruill frowned and looked at the woman beside him. They mumbled something. It was at this point in the ritual that quick decisions had to be made. We had to decide whether we wanted these people living with us, and they had to accept or reject our price. We got one sixty last year, Mr. Spruill said. I didn't care for money talk, so I ambled along the center line to inspect the trailer. The tires on the trailer were even balder than those on the truck. Rising in one corner of the trailer, with her elbows resting on the plank siding, was a very pretty girl. She had dark hair pulled tightly behind her head and big brown eyes. She was younger than my mother, but certainly a lot older than I was, and I couldn't help but stare. What's your name? she said. Luke, I said, kicking a rock. My cheeks were immediately warm. What's yours? Tally. How old are you? Seven. How old are you? Seventeen. She was barefoot, and her dress was dirty and very tight, tight all the way to her knees. This was the first time I remember really examining a girl. She watched me with a knowing smile. A kid sat on a crate next to her with his back to me, and he slowly turned around and looked at me as if I weren't there. He had green eyes and a long forehead covered with sticky black hair. His left arm appeared to be useless. This is Trot, she said. He ain't right. Nice to meet you, Trot, I said, but his eyes looked away. He acted as if he hadn't heard me. How old is he? I asked her. 
Twelve. He's a cripple. Trot turned abruptly to face a corner, his bad arm flopping lifelessly. My friend Duane said that hill people married their cousins, and that's why there were so many defects in their families. Tally appeared to be perfect, though. She gazed thoughtfully across the cotton fields, and I admired her dirty dress once again. I knew my grandfather and Mr. Spruill had come to terms because Mr. Spruill started his truck. I walked past the trailer, past the man on the tailgate who was briefly awake but still staring at the pavement, and stood beside Pappy. Nine miles that way. Take a left by a burned-out barn, then six more miles to the St. Francis River. We're the first farm past the river on your left. Bottom land? Mr. Spruill asked, as if he were being sent into a swamp. Some of it is, but it's good land. Mr. Spruill glanced at his wife again, then looked back at us. Where do we sit up? You'll see a shady spot in the back next to the silo. That's the best place. We watched them drive away, the gears rattling, the tires wobbling, crates and boxes and pots bouncing along. You don't like them, do you? I asked. They're good folks, sir, just different. I guess we're lucky to have them, aren't we? Yes, we are. With the cotton waiting, my grandfather was not a patient man. Our Mexicans were two days late. We parked again near Pop and Pearl's, and I followed him to the tea shop, where he argued with the man in charge of farm labor. Relax, Eli, the man said. They'll be here any minute. He couldn't relax. We walked to the Black Oak Gin on the edge of town. A long walk, but Pappy did not believe in wasting gasoline. Between six and eleven.